We'll be back in First Peter tonight, and uh, we'll look at some of these things here in this um, chapter that Paul, uh, Peter talks about. Um, you know, a lot of things that uh, people do, they said this about Paul, uh, they rest the Scriptures to their own destruction and some things that Paul said, but I'd venture to say they did the same thing to him. Some things that he says here uh, really gets a lot of people messed up in what they believe and what they think uh, concerning water baptism and other things like that. And they rest the Scriptures instead of just letting them say what they say. And uh, so we'll be back in First Peter and just look a little bit in chapter number 3, and we'll go down through here and see, uh, start about, um, we were looking where we ended, kind of we ended on the washing of the conscience, and again, and I want to say, I use that word just merely for alliteration purposes to help my mind, but you got a whole lot more than had your conscience washed. Um, you know, the Bible uses the word purging, and um, the Bible talks about having your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. Um, I believe that's in Titus, maybe. I can't remember exactly where that is. But uh, there's a lot of scriptures that talk about and deal with the conscience of a saved man and what happened to him. And it was more than just run a little running water over it and washed it. It was purged. And uh, I thank God for that great truth. But so anyhow, we're looking back down here about verse 15. And we begin to see how the Lord again, uh, after he deals with these suffering pilgrims, is teaching them that the works must continue. And you say, well, why is that in important? Well, because a lot of people when they suffer, it's easy to quit. Uh, suffering, whether it be pain, whether it be people accusing, whether it be um, feeling sorry for yourself, whether it be whatever it is, whatever kind of suffering you may be going through, physical, emotional, whatever it is, uh, it's an easy time the devil will want to come by and try to get you to quit, or at least back up on what all that you've been doing. And uh, I know one man told me not long ago, he said, I'm in a financial trouble right now. And he said, so what I decided to do is increase my giving, and I'm going to give my way out of it. And I said, boy, he's thinking right. But it'd be easy to suffer a little bit, and you know, why did my car go out? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? And say, back up on your giving. But it, the works must continue. No matter what the suffering is, we've got to continue to preach. We've got to continue to give. We've got to continue to live holy, separated lives, no matter what the suffering that comes into our life. And again, that's easy to preach, uh, but sometimes it's often hard to do. Uh, it's easy for us to just feel sorry for ourselves and look for a place to slow down. Uh, but uh, suffering, we can't do that. And he's trying to encourage us for that. Uh, these are suffering saints here. And he goes through and starts off in the chapter one, really dealing with that. Uh, but then he continues that same thought down in these works that must continue. Uh, we stop somewhere in about verse 15. Uh, but the same thing, but and if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye and be not afraid of their terror, uh, neither be trouble. But verse 15 says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. And uh, not just that you're prepared for that, but you got to also be in the right spirit when you do it. And that makes it doubly hard. Uh, it's kind of easy sometimes to slam the truth down somebody's throat. Uh, but uh, being in the right spirit oftentimes makes a lot of difference. So when we're given that good answer, we make sure we are meek and make sure we do it with fear. Uh, and given the reason of the hope that is in us. And he begins to deal with that conscience. And uh, the reason I say that and start
start that in about verse 15 instead of 16 uh, because a man that has not had his conscience purged has no hope in himself and he certainly can't sanctify the Lord God in his heart. Uh, so this is to save people, obviously. It gives them a reason. If anybody's got a reason to have some hope, it's you and me tonight. Uh, the world going down, the world struggling. I don't know what we're going to do. The communists are taking over and all those things. And I'm not smiling at that as it's funny uh, because it's not. It is true to a degree uh, if people don't wake up. Uh, but uh, anyhow, uh, you and me have some hope in us tonight. And we can tell the world uh, there's hope in Jesus. Hope thou in God and don't lose hope. And uh, so we give a reason uh, of the hope that lies within us with meekness uh, and with fear. And we're able to do that. And again, like I say, that's the dealing really uh, in the conscience of the converted, the conscience of the Christian. Uh, but uh, we can do that. We can sanctify the Lord and be able to give an answer of the reason we have hope because of the answer of the good conscience. We have faith. Uh, Bible faith is what gives us hope in the character of God. We have Bible faith, not in ourselves, not in our own abilities, but we have faith in God. And He is the just, He is the just one, and He is the uh, one that will do right in the end. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And so I don't understand it all. I don't know, you know, a lot of things that I don't understand. Probably more I don't than I do. Why things happen and befall good people. Why, you know, certain people people died, it seemed like, before their time. There's a lot of things I don't know and I don't understand why God allows some things in some lives. I do not understand and I don't have the answer. But this much I do know for a fact. God is faithful and He is just and in the end it will be right whatever it is. Uh, that much I know about God's character. Uh, there's nothing in Him that is unjust. He is going to do what is right. And though we may not understand it now, we just have to trust that. I just know that. Uh, how do you comfort somebody that's lost a child and things like that? I, mean, I don't understand all those things. I don't know why God allowed that. But I can promise you this. Whatever it is, it's right. God is going to do right. And uh, He loves us, and I'm convinced of that. And so we're able to, because we have that clean conscience, we have a clear conscience. We have a conscience that's been purged from evil. We have a, a conscience that's able to say, here's why I have hope, and here's the faith that I have in Christ. That, it, that is what made it possible uh, for us. And he deals with that on a little bit for, but I started in verse 15. Uh, because, and here's why I say that. I don't mean to ramble some, but here's why I say that. Because uh, even after you're saved, uh, what, what will bother you? Now, the conscience is not the mind. I have researched about all I can until I've about gone crazy of exactly where the conscience lies in a person. I, I believe it's in the soul of a person. I do believe that. I but it's not the mind because the Bible separates the two in various verses. And it's not the heart because there's verses that mention the conscience and the heart. And so uh, uh, I don't know that I could give you the fullness of the understanding of what it is and what that it isn't. But this much I know about a conscience. I know when I got saved, my conscience was purged. My, that, that, uh, that guiding sense in my life that uh, was steering me in the wrong directions. Uh, the, the, the guilt that I had 
dread was gone. The fear that I had in that sense of judgment was gone. And all those things were cleaned. And, but then, why it's important, what happens to us when we're not ready to give an answer uh, is because we have a guilty conscience. Uh, even as a saved man, you get out there on your job and you act a certain fr- way in front of people or uh, you act a certain way in front of your coworkers and your conscience starts bothering you and here's what it'll say. Oh, they know what you are. I wouldn't say nothing about Jesus. Anybody else ever have that happen? Now, I've never gotten upset on my job, but some of you men that have ever done that, you know what I'm talking about. Your conscience bothers you. Uh, I know that, that wasn't right, and he'll use that. How many people come to church and, and you feel like, man, I, I know how low I am. I know how sorry I am, but Brother Reed will get to sing him uh, something, Amazing Grace or something, and uh, there'll be something in your heart and just say, it'll swell up inside of you, and you want to say amen or you want to raise your hand or something, but uh, the devil will say something about, well, look at what you did this morning. Or look at what you didn't do this morning. Or look at what you did yesterday. You ain't worthy to shout and pray. Who are you to? That's what he's getting into your conscience and trying to have your conscience condemn you. Which really, in reality, none of us are worthy to ever shout and praise the Lord, right? So, uh, but what we have to be careful is not to give place to him uh, by uh, allowing him to be able to take your conscience and condemn you with it. Now, greater is he, and so we understand who is he that condemneth, who is he that, and we understand all those truths. But when we live or do certain things in our life, it does affect our ability to witness, and we know it, and so we just won't do nothing. Now, some people, they sear their conscience just about, and they'll go ahead and do it anyway because they don't care. They'll just hide it and cover it all up and act super spiritual. They're in for a rude awakening one day. I don't know about you, man. I can't even hardly think wrong. My conscience will begin to bother. But you got to be careful with that. Don't let your conscience. Some people just, they'll destroy their self and condemn themselves a lot harder than God's ever is on some of us sometimes. I find God's forgiven. God's even chose to not remember my iniquities. I'll come to him and I'll say, Lord, purge me. Like, you know, to his sub. And, you know, you'll, you'll plead those verses and say, Lord, clean me. He's faithful and just forgive us our sins. Here's what the Bible says. When God's forgiven them, he's forgotten them. And then you'll get up and go away, and uh, you're the one that remembers them and beats yourself up with them, right? God's forgiven you. Don't let the devil keep you from ever doing anything for God. I don't know how many people I've heard say that. Well, the way I lived or the way I've done or the way I... If you're waiting till you get into a certain place and live a certain way before you ever do anything for God, good luck. You'll never do nothing for God. Right? Now, that don't mean we just live away. But I've never felt worthy to preach the gospel. Have you, Brother Joe? I mean, I've never felt worthy of that. If a man's waiting until he feels worthy to become a pastor, he's in trouble. <laughs> I don't want him as a pastor if he does feel worthy. Do you? <laughs> but uh, just, you know, a lot of that's why, that's why the conscience uh, must be guided by the Word of God. We have to consume. That's why the Bible said, hide the Word of God in your heart that I might not sin against you. So you've got to have the Word of God in you to guide your conscience because your conscience is not automatically. It shows the law written in their mind. And so we do have a sense in which the Spirit of God works in our life and uses our conscience and things like that. But you better have your conscience guided by the Word of God. I've heard lost people say, let your conscience be your guide. You better not do that. And I did that for 25 years, Mom. That didn't lead us to no good, did it? Don't let your conscience be your guide. You're raised by fallen parents who were raised by fallen parents who were raised by fallen parents. They do their best to guide you, and then you know what? You're following yourself. 
The blind is leading the blind. Everybody ends up in the ditch. Don't let your conscience be your guide. Well, as I've had people tell me, uh, preacher, I've heard people tell me this all the time. Well, I believe a man just reads the Bible, and I believe you'd interpret it any way you want to, and you you do it the way you, that, that that your conscience, you do it the way you believe it, and I'll do it the way I believe it. There's only one thing wrong with that is one of us ain't right. Somebody's right, somebody's wrong. God had one intention. It's not open to private interpretation, right? So God meant something when he said it, and somebody's wrong. I want, I want to be on God's thing, don't you? I'm going to say, well, this is the way I perceive it. No, don't let your conscience be. You let the word of God renew your mind and keep your conscience clean. Uh, don't define. And can I say this, young people? And then I'm going to move on. I didn't want to get bogged down in that verse. But um, can I say this about your conscience? You can't get saved without it. And the worst thing you can do as a young person is sin against your own conscience. That's how a person gets seared. I believe there comes a point in a person's life they couldn't get saved if they wanted to. Now, they're not going to want to, but they can't get saved because they've seared their conscience. They've sinned against their conscience to the degree that there's nothing guiding them any longer saying, hey, you shouldn't do that. And then the depths of the depravity and the depths of Satan are just continually enjoyed deeper and darker and deeper and darker to the point they can't get out because there's no conscience. There's nothing there to prick their heart to say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. Their conscience is seared. They don't have a conscience anymore. You see people, have a man that can harm little babies, a man that can do things to, to children, a person that can do things like that, that person, I'm not sure if they even have a conscience left. You, had, you just had, I mean, there's a person born into this world has a conscience right out from the gate, right out of the gate he does. Now, I believe nature and nurture. I believe nurture plays a part in that. Sure. But a man, they, I'm telling you, when you see people outwardly, openly expressing and proud in their rebellion, you have to start to wonder if they've got a conscience left. Because you know what a conscience will do? Here's what your conscience will do. It's that part of you that did this when Adam, when Adam, when Eve fell and they started to hide themselves. Because they were shame. It, conscience brings shame to your life. And so even when you're saved and you do things uh, that you know are not right or you think something's not right, there's shame there. And there should be. <laughs> What's happened in our generation, there's no shame anymore for their high. I am what I am and you're the one that ought to be sorry for not liking it. Right? That's the way they think. <laughs> no, I didn't say I hated you, but I don't have to like what you're doing. You don't have to like what I'm doing. You just stay over there and do it, and I'll stay over here and do what I think's right. And we'll just, you know, just, I can two walk together unless it be agreed. But in our generation, they have to force you to like it. You know why? For, for the degree, their conscience is condemning them. I didn't say anything about that. But that'll be the first thing that comes to their mind. You ever notice that? When somebody's wrong, you'll get around them. I've seen people get wrong on the church. And when you get around them, I just heard this just the other day. This man was in a church and he, he was preaching in this church and, and um, a certain person had really messed up bad. And uh, uh, the first thing they did, the first words out of that church member's mouth is started to defend themselves over a situation. And that preacher said, I didn't say nothing about it. I didn't even know what was going on. Sounded like their conscience was bothering them. Right? Nobody said nothing about that. I've seen people get mad at the preacher preach something, and and uh, I've seen very few pre preachers that would uh, be uh, that way with things. But they'll go, that preacher. No, I think your conscience was bothering you. Right? It wasn't that preacher? He's just preaching. 
So thank God for a conscience, right? Don't sin against it. Um, the Bible talks about the deceitfulness of sin. And it talks about how a man is, what's that, I don't know where the verse is exactly, but uh, it talks about a person hardening themselves through the deceitfulness of sin. The more you sin that against that thing inside of you that's saying, stop, don't go this far. You go ahead against your own conscience and you sin against that conscience. You're deceiving yourself and you're hardening yourself, right? Young people, you're hardening yourself and you're hardened uh, against it because of what's happening to your conscience. It becomes easier and easier, I have found in my life, not to obey that little voice that's saying, you better stop. The more you sin against it, the easier it's going to become to go ahead and keep on doing what you're doing. That voice will get softer and softer and softer till you can't hear it no more. And that's where the point where God said, well, uh, they, uh, he gives them up, gives them up, gives them up, and then gives them over. To vile affections and reprobate minds. Don't sin against your conscience. We use that a lot in... You know, just talking about certain particular sins and things like that. But they started out just not being thankful. Right? And it just got worse. What happens? You'll find yourself, I've heard people say this all the time. i got to move on. But I've heard people say, do you think anybody ever sat down and said, I can't wait till I get older. I'm going to be an alcoholic one day. Man, I can't wait. Nobody says that. You know what happens? It's one drink. Something says, don't do that. <laughs> drink it anyway. They get up, they go on about their day, and they start out. Maybe it's once a week just partying with friends. You know what happens next week? Partying with friends again. You know what happens? Here's what happens. Same thing. Well, nothing happened last time. Got by with it this time. Nobody found out about it at church. I got away with it. God didn't judge me. God didn't kill me. Because God's long-suffering. Don't take that as His acceptance of what you're doing. And so they'll go on with it, and you sin, go ahead and drink again, and you feel kind of bad about it. But if you'll notice before the thing's over, and then you don't realize that, uh, uh, that you're an alcoholic until the day you try to stop. Alcoholics don't sit out. They're not made uh, as little children. Our drug addicts don't sit down as young children and say, boy, I can't wait to do that first drug, and I can't wait to get strung out. I can't wait to have the, uh, the, the county take my children from me. I can't wait to not feed myself and lose 100 pounds, and uh, I can't wait for that stuff to happen. You know what happened? They just unwrapped the box that was presented to them, wrapped up in a pretty little bow and nice wrapping paper, and it exploded on them. Don't sin against your conscience. That's what Hitler said. He, you know why he hated Jews? This is why Hitler hated Jews. He blamed them for the conscience. He said people would not be, he, he, he believed you ought to just live into your primal nature. He was survival of the fittest type Darwinism. He, 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 was, he, he believed, he blamed the Jew. He said the Jew, through their Bible and their laws, made people ashamed of what they were. See, if we didn't have the Word of God and we didn't have Jews telling us what God said, then we could just live however we wanted to, we'd all be free. He believed that. And he wanted to stamp Jews out for one reason. That man's conscience bothered him. And instead of, instead of when he knew there was a God, receiving that God and worshiping that God, he decided to try to get rid of that voice that was telling him not to do what his flesh wanted to do. I just don't want to listen to it anymore. You'll do the same thing. I'm tired of that Bible preaching. I'm tired of my mom and dad telling me all the time. I'm tired of listening to that music. I'm tired of people always talking about it. I'm sick of listening to it. I just want to do what I want to do, and I want to be left alone. 
That's, that's what you're doing. I want to shut the voice of the conscience up, and I want to live free to uh, embrace my flesh and its desires. <laughs> and what you're going to find out, God will let you do it. You can have it. God's not forced himself on nobody. God will let you do it. But you're going to find out there'll come a payday on that thing one day, and you'll bit off a lot more than you could ever chew. <laughs> And you'll be wishing and praying and looking for a place of repentance, and you won't be able to find one. God won't grant it. God has to grant repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. You can be as sorry as you want to be sorry, right? We forget that thing in salvation sometimes, don't we? A man, as long as he's breathing, he can get saved anytime he wants to. I don't believe that. You get saved when God deals with you and draws, well, you don't, you don't get saved. And uh, so God has to grant that repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth. You can, you can uh, be as sorry as you want to, but if he don't accept it, it's going to do you no good. Right? Thank God he does accept it. <laughs> Thank God for mercy. Be careful with your conscience. That's why we try to tell uh, you young people and all of us really here tonight, we got to be careful about what we're watching, what we're listening to, what kind of music we're listening to, what kind of company we keep, uh, what kind of things we're watching on TV, because that's going to affect your conscience. That's going to start to bother you. You know what I found in my Christian life, even as a Christian, every time you drop a standard, if you drop it an inch, it'll cost you a mile down the road. It'll cost you a mile down the road. Every time you drop a little something, you know what it is? It's, it's, it's once you allow that thing into your life, and don't try to use verses, happy is a man in the thing that which he alloweth. That is not what that's talking about. Uh, but anyhow, you get something in your life, and you, you start listening and watching movies that cuss, and you, you used to, you wouldn't watch something like that to save the world. You'd never watch something like that. And you sit down and watch it one time and think, well, it ain't no big deal, you know. I mean, people say bad words, and I'm not going to say them. And you just keep on watching it, and so we'll see who's going to cuss for long. You got to be careful with your conscience. You got to be careful. There goes preaching on our movies again. I'm preaching, just trying to preach because I know how the enemy works and what he wants to do. He's not going to come up and say, Here, Tyler, I want you to be an alcoholic. Here's what I want you to That's not what he does. What he's going to do is say, Boy, wouldn't it be nice to have friends? Wouldn't it be nice to be popular? Wouldn't it be nice to be? That's how he's going to whisper into your ear. And then when he's going to get you and present you with a crowd of people, and that's what they do. And you're wanting acceptance. You're not really wanting to get drunk and be an alcoholic. But that's the way he sneaks it in. Gets you to be accepted. Get that thing in your heart that you think, boy, that looks okay. And he'll play just so subtly with that thing. And then before you know it, that one sip is turning. And all them friends are gone. And all of them left you. And you're left a drunkard and a beggar. And your house is falling in around you. I've seen it happen. Started out just one little drink at a time. And before you know it, I don't care what you try to do. You, we, you can plead. You can beg. I don't, I'm telling you, it'll get a hold of you. And you won't even realize how hard it's got you until you try to let go of it. You don't have sin. It's got you, right? Nobody controls sin. Who could take fire into their bosom? And uh, so we had to be extremely careful uh, because we're supposed to be in this world, we're not of the world. And so that's what he's trying to tell them here. God's given us a conscience, he's purged that conscience, and he wants to operate in a, in a manner in which we're living holy in an unholy world. He doesn't want us to isolate ourselves like the Jehovah's Witness and hope some of our family's part of the 144,000 or whatever it is who all they think's getting in. Uh, but uh, he don't want us to go by uh, these camps and hundreds and hundreds of acres and all of us put big gates out in front of it and all all of us live on this place. That's not how he wants us to live. We're not isolationists. We're separate. We, we just try to separate from the world, right? We still got to live in it and make a difference in the world. And you're not going to do that if you sin against your conscience. Your conscience is precious. 
Don't defile your conscience. I don't know. I read on this one time, and I don't move on, but I really worry about our young people. They're so active. In our day, I thank goodness for no cell phones and no TVs and computers and all that stuff. Boy, I'm glad I missed that. Boy, I am glad I missed that. Uh, but I want to tell you something, young people. Uh, there'll be some baggage you'll have. It is extremely difficult to get images out of your mind. Not difficult that is to get out of your mind. I don't care what it is. I remember, and I was telling the boys about this, Brother Jay said, I'm, I'm not trying to ramble, I want to move on here. But they seen a violent wreck the other day, and it was awful. And my wife called me and said, I wish they'd have never seen that. It was bad. And I can remember uh, my friend had gotten a computer. We didn't have one, thank the Lord. Uh, and uh, we didn't have internet and all that stuff. And uh, he had gotten one, and I saw a man get his head cut off. That's one of the Muslim things. I'm talking about probably 20 years ago. And I saw that thing, and I'm telling you, I, the image of that thing haunted me for I don't know how long. These are some things we shouldn't see. And I'm going to tell you, sitting there and shooting people on video games all day long, and you're blowing people's heads off and guts and blood's flying and everything else, that's going to start numbing you to things you shouldn't be numb to. Life's precious, you see. So I'm not saying there's some great sea and this and that. I'm saying what is going to happen, though, it is going to affect your conscience. Right? So you have to be careful about that. Take great heed to your conscience. Uh, but having a good conscience... And so we got to keep that good conscience. It's been made clean and good and all those wonderful things. But it's our job to continue to make sure it's guided by the Word and that we keep it from, from evil things. So that then this may be the case and this may be true in our life. But having a good conscience then, they speak evil of you as of evildoers. But they'll be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. And that lends a little bit more to where I was earlier uh, or Sunday uh, when we were talking about who is he that will harm you. Uh, so let them go ahead and talk on. If you've got a clear conscience, you did right. They can say whatever they want to, right? They falsely accuse your good conversation. God said, look, I don't even know how much defending your, what time you should waste defending yourself. Happy are ye. Be glad. Right? That you're suffering. And so um, they'll be ashamed one day of your good conversation in Christ. Verse number 17, for it is better, we mentioned this verse as well, the will of God be so that you suffer for well doing uh, than for evil doing. Uh, but try to learn from the evil doing, right? <laughs> All of us have suffered one way or another for doing wrong, and let's not repeat the same mistakes. Verse 18, Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Now, uh, this is an important verse because, now we, we looked at the, 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 the trespass offering, the burnt offering, the meat offering, those that were compulsory and those that were voluntary. We mentioned that a while back. I'm not going to go over those offerings again where the offerer uh, offered up the sacrifice. We looked at that. But it's important here where it talks about Jesus, the just for the unjust who has once suffered for sin that he might bring us to God. And here's why this is important. This last part of the verse, and we'll move on. Being put to death in the flesh, but quick by the Spirit. Now, that's important because he's going to go on and talk about, even so, baptism does save us. Right? Well, 
He's, what is the best picture of baptism you've heard thus far? It's right here. I mean, in First Peter, anyhow, maybe First Corinthians, some other places, that right here, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. That's what happened to Christ. That's what happened to you. Put to death in the flesh, quickened by the Spirit, made alive. That's a picture. So he's going to go on and talk about Stephen, so the like figure. That's now how it does save us. So we know how a man is saved, right? I know we don't have that problem in here, but sometimes it's good to reiterate it. Water baptism doesn't save anybody, right? And I don't know how people get so messed up on that. As you can sprinkle a man, spit on him, dunk him. I don't care what you do to him. His flesh will never be changed. Care what you do to it. This is a picture. Put it to death. It's got to be put to death. You can't watch it, right? What did Job say is going to happen if you watched it? The same thing's going to ooze out, right? And defile you because you're, you're a leper. Something's got to get deep on in far beyond the flesh. And so we looked at Hebrews uh, 9, I believe it is, and then going into chapter number 10. Uh, but it talks about the, how the law, how Christ, how he suffered for sins, and he was delivered, how he's now purged you and cleansed you from the inside. And now he cleans you up from the inside out. Isn't that wonderful? Instead of making clean the outside, it's in your heart. And if you could be as holy as God is, you would. That's what's in you. God broke your will. If your will don't get broke, you can't get saved. I don't believe that. I don't believe a person can just have this rebellious will and be a Christian. Now, you're still going to have a will that's, uh, and I don't believe, but some say they don't will, will, will to act. Uh, you do have a will, uh, and I believe God breaks that will, but then you've got to submit it every single day to the will of God. That's not a one fix for all. I was talking to a pastor the other day. He said, you know what's wrong in our Baptist church a lot of times? We come down to the altar and think, and we're waiting for one major miraculous experience on the altar to fix our life. That's not, that's not going to happen. You know how our lives going to change? Every single day we're going to purpose in our heart to get up and live for God. It's not going to be some miraculous thing. And I'm for the altar. Please don't stop coming to the altar because I said that. I'm just saying, don't be disappointed. The altar is for to lay your burdens down before God and say, God, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from But the real work will be done when you get up and up in the morning and you deny yourself and get right back to the same altar where you left it last time and say, now, God, I'm still a wretch as I was the other night. I'm just as wicked as I've always been. Help me today to live better. You're going to do it every day. Every day. Now you can come down and the altar gets saying, I'm for that. I encourage it. I love it. I love it. It's wonderful. But don't be disappointed when you don't feel this special feeling. You didn't waste time coming down here. Right? Lay your burdens out before the Lord and pour your heart out to God. Pray and do all those things. But you're just going to have to get up every... There is no magic pill. Uh, being a Christian is not like losing weight. You can't get injections. You can't take pills. You can't. Take, there's only one thing you can do, and it's every day. Die to yourself and submit your will to the will of God, and you're going to do it every day. Because you could live 20 years and do it and miss one day and wreck everything. They do it every day. Every day, every single day of your life. For it's better the will of God be. See, uh, well, if we go into this, let me just say, so let's just mention a couple of things and let's stop. We've got that long business meeting tonight. And I shoot for the stars and sometimes maybe we'll get there. Well, I'm, 
I intended to finish this chapter. Anybody want me to do that? No. But uh, just if we go too far into this, I, I, I'm not going to pretend to have all the answers. I do know some things that I don't think are right, by which, again, referencing the same Spirit, capital S, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. The next two verses, there's two key words. I just want us to focus on. We'll come back probably Sunday night or something. The two key words in verse 19 and 20 are spirits and disobedience. Now, prison's important too. Because when you sit in and you look at all the various views of what somebody might believe about these verses, there's three main ones. Some believe it's talking about to these angels that uh, got with the sons of men and there were giants in the land. And he, they talk about that because I, I know they say, well, uh, God wouldn't refer to them as spirits. Well, that's not so because the Bible said we've come unto an innumerable company, company of angels and to the spirits of just men made perfect. So that is so. The Bible talks about the spirit goes back to the God that gave it. So you would have, you would have to say, well, those spirits uh, were in prison in the heart of the earth. When Jesus went down into the heart of the earth, he preached to a disobedient spirit that was disobedient during a ter- certain time frame, Noah's day. So he wasn't preaching to Old Testament saints because those people walk by faith, right? And this verse says these spirits were disobedient that he's preaching to. So who was he preaching to? Disobedient people, disobedient spirits, in my opinion. Now, I, I'm going to tell you what I believe, and I will, I'll lay it out. But I want to tell you what I believe this talking about. If you go on into the next chapter, it talks about, For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead. And I think it follows the same pattern. Now, I don't know. I would be easily corrected on this by anybody. Uh, but I'm starting to wonder. I'm not sure it talks about the time frame here. Now, did Jesus, as Jonah was in the whale's belly, three days and three nights, so the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights, right? We all know that. Paradise was in the heart of the earth, separated by a great gulf, and you had what I would assume would be what's being referred to here as prison. Paradise don't sound like prison, so I don't think this is preaching done to Noah, to Abraham, because the Bible said Abraham saw my day and was glad. He had the gospel preached to him when he took Isaac on the mountain, right? That can't be it. These are disobedient spirits that he's preaching to. Now, here's what I think, I, just because of the next chapter. I think it's not talking about that time period. He did lead captivity captive, went into the heart of the earth. I'm not denying that. But I believe probably this is talking about by the same spirit. He, it didn't say they were dead already when he preached. So these spirits, these spirits that it could be talking about, these spirits that were in prison, and it goes on for the next chapter, this could be those that were preached to when they were alive. During Noah's day, they were disobedient. Somebody was preaching to them. By the same Spirit that's preaching to you, if I'm of the Spirit, it wouldn't be me preaching to you tonight, right? If I'm of the Spirit, it's be the Spirit preaching to me. So it could be possible. Now, I'm not 100%. I'd say I'm not 100%. But uh, if you've got a better narrative, there's some good thoughts about that verse. Um, uh, I'll, I'll tell you another one that gets me sometimes. The Bible talks about where there is no law, sin's not imputed. In Romans 5. And so it said, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even then that it did not sin after that similitude of Adam's transgression. So these 
it could, it, it, I've heard this argument, and I'm not going to say I'm for him, but that proves our sin nature, right? Nobody dies who's not a guilty sinner. So we inherit some form of guilt from Adam, right? Now, <laughs> the soul that sins, it shall die. So the fact that they died and death reigned from Adam to Moses even without the law proved they were guilty sinners. Those sins not imputed on them. So some people say, well, it's possible that they were in this prison in Noah's day before the law, and they were in this prison, and Jesus Christ came and preached to them because their sins were not imputed unto them. Uh, though they were guilty, they died, but their sins weren't imputed to them, and so he gave them an opportunity to be saved. Now, I don't know. I'll let you chew on that a while. I don't know. You, you know what you're saying? You're saying that God, that these people died. They went to the heart of the earth. They were in there with the rich man. And God went down there and preached to them. What about all the other people that were down there when Jesus was preaching to them? they get a chance to go? That would be hard for me to accept, wouldn't it you? I don't know. And I hope I didn't just ramble on about that. But that stuff's kind of, some of these things, Brother Jones, I don't know. I mean, there's some things in this Bible that just, I just don't know. There's, there's a lot more trouble I've got with what I do know. But it's wonderful to think about. So you just pray about that and think about it. And you got something better, you come teach it to me. I want to know. But we'll move on here uh, Sunday night or so and move on down through those scriptures. Keep your conscience clean. And i tell you one thing. I don't know that I've ever gotten an answer on some of these scriptures. But it's kept my mind in the right direction. I like to think on things. I'm not sure I'll ever get them figured out. But just keep your mind on the Word of God and you'll end up all right. Lord, we love you. Thank you for all your goodness. Thank you for the help you are of the church, the help you are of us individually. Thank you for our people, those that are on vacation this week. We pray for them, good time of fellowship with their families. Lord, protect them, guide them, and help them. And then, Lord, help us in the furthest of this business meeting, Lord, that the will of God would be done, and you'd help all of us, Lord, to be obedient servants of you, Lord, this week. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We will have a verse before we do that. Uh, if you want to stand to your feet just a moment. And then we'll have a break. Let's use the restroom before we do that business meeting, okay? But we want to have a verse if you need to come to the altar, give you an opportunity to come. <laughs>